I'm Diana Davison, an advocate for the falsely accused and wrongfully convicted. I started a nonprofit called The Lighthouse Project a few years ago after receiving so many calls for help, I decided to devote myself to the problem full time. These are the stories that aren't supposed to exist. The true tales of innocent people whose lives have been ripped to shreds and they're not allowed to tell their stories until now. This is the story of comedian and talk show host Mike Bullard, caught up in a legal nightmare after his ex-girlfriend Cynthia Mulligan accused him of stalking. That charge was thrown out of court, but the injustice continues. You're listening to Untrue Crime on the Possibly Correct Network with Diana Davidson. Stay up to date with the latest releases and investigations from Diana by following the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Minds, and Gab. Or sign up to our email list at www.untruecrimepodcast.com. Last episode, I talked about the role of the prosecutor in finally forcing Mike Bullard to take a plea deal. A judge had thrown out the criminal harassment charge after a review of all the evidence, but while they were waiting for that decision, the prosecutor approved charges against a member of Mike Bullard's defense team, a private investigator. Cynthia Mulligan spoke about this private investigator in her so-called victim impact statement though that part was not permitted to be read in court, for good reason. But her friend, Avery Haynes, published the full statement on Facebook, and it was circulated among members of the media. Addressing Mike Bullard, Mulligan wrote, quote, Even after your arrest, your harassment didn't stop. It continued on Twitter with veiled threats, comments, and denials. And then a private investigator showed up at my house on a Sunday morning four months ago and tried to bully and intimidate me. He also went to my former husband's home and called a colleague saying if I didn't drop the charges, he'd release dirt on me and destroy my career. There is no dirt and you know it. Fortunately, there is a recording. That PI is now facing charges as well. End quote. So... It's actually true that a private investigator is currently facing a criminal charge, but he shouldn't be. This is yet another outrageous act by prosecutor Megan Scott, though I understand a different prosecutor has now been assigned to the case. Hopefully that won't waste any more public court time. There isn't just a recording. Every interview this private investigator conducted was recorded, and the one with Mulligan shows that she was not bullied or intimidated. I've spoken with the private investigator involved and listened to his recordings. Now, his job is much like Cynthia Mulligan's own job as a reporter. He has to contact people who probably don't want to talk to him and ask them to talk to him anyway. It's my understanding that Mulligan told police that the investigator was friendly and non-threatening. At what point is Cynthia Mulligan going to stop having people criminally charged by saying, he never said anything threatening, and yet I was afraid? And if she's going to keep doing that, well, we simply can't take her seriously when she says she's not someone who scares easily. 
Mulligan actually wanted Mike Bullard charged with indirect contact again, not the private investigator. And one of the big problems is that the police completely failed to explain to her that the defense lawyer and his team are legally permitted to interview witnesses. And they send a private investigator to do that. There was nothing nefarious about the situation at all. There were quite a few issues that needed investigation, not least of which was whether or not Cynthia Mulligan was ever told to move out of her house for her own safety. But one of the biggest issues involved how Pam Seidel came to falsely tell police that Mike Bullard had told her to send a text message to Cynthia Mulligan. He was charged with two crimes because of that. I've recently listened to an interview with Pam Seidel's husband, Dave Eddy, and her husband vehemently declares that Mike Bullard never did such a thing. And Eddie was there as a witness the night of the event. There were actually four people there that night. Pam Seidel, Dave Eddy, her husband, Mike Bullard, and Bullard's girlfriend. I've now confirmed that three out of those four people say that Mike Bullard did not breach contact by asking Pam to send that message. And that includes Pam's own husband. So the question the private investigator was trying to answer was this. What did Cynthia Mulligan do or say to Pam Seidel to get her to lie to the police? And why did Pam Seidel continue to lie when she testified at the preliminary hearing? That's a pretty serious thing. It's called perjury. Now, I'm sure that Seidel knew that it was serious because she actually refused to give a police interview. She merely said the word yes over a phone call when asked if Mike Bullard requested she send the text message. But this is exactly why the private investigator needed to talk with her. There was no police interview with Pam Seidel provided to Mike's defense team, so they had no information about what she was going to say in court on the stand other than the word yes. But let's get back to that first point about how what this private investigator did was no different than what reporters do every day. Just switch the words private investigator with news reporter and you end up with the complaint that a reporter showed up on Mulligan's doorstep saying he was looking into a story about her. Then when she refused to talk to him, he went and contacted her friends and family members. Now, usually when a reporter shows up saying they're looking into allegations about a person, the subject is kind of freaked out. And reporters often tell the people that the story isn't going to look too good, so it would be in the person's best interest to go on the record. When a private investigator is hired by someone, well, it's usually because they think they're being lied to in some way. When a reporter is knocking on your door, it's pretty much the same scenario. Someone thinks something bad has happened. Now, Mike didn't personally hire the private investigator, and Cynthia Mulligan absolutely knows that. She knows it because the PI directly told her that he worked for Calvin Berry, not Mike Bullard. So, this PI is now being criminally prosecuted because Cynthia Mulligan was just trying to get more charges laid on Mike Bullard. A whole other criminal trial at the public expense based on Cynthia Mulligan not being afraid. 
and the police failing to explain that defense have the legal right to try to interview witnesses. There is extensive case law on that, and the police must know that too. Another thing that happened right after uh, the Chatelaine article came out is that uh, Joe Warmington wanted to uh, write a story, you know, stating some truths, the fact that I was never charged with stalking, uh, there was never a stalking charge alleged, she didn't even call and report a stalking, and he was going to defend me on the fact that Kevin Donovan wrote a false story. However, I guess uh, somebody named Kate Wheeler, who used to work at CTV, found out, and she sends him a DM on Twitter that threatens him if he uh, decides to write the story. By the way, she called me a coward and a narcissist. You know, I think I may have met this woman once when I was at CTV, but I got to be honest with you, male or female, uh, people whose job it is to read from a teleprompter never held much fascination for me. You're listening to Untrue Crime on the Possibly Correct Network with Diana Davison as she sheds light on the true stories that aren't supposed to exist and investigates the alleged crimes which never even happened. Stay up to date with the latest releases and investigation from Diana by following the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Minds.com and Gab or sign up to our email list at www.untruecrimepodcast.com. While you're online, please show your support and leave a review for the podcast on your chosen media player. You can check out all of our podcasts by following Possibly Correct on Minds.com. Now back to the podcast. Here's a funny story from when I was a kid. Uh, when I was nine and my brother was eight, my parents would go out and they'd hire a sitter and then we would have these huge fist fights in front of the sitter. The sitter would get upset and she'd be freaking out when my parents got home saying she never wanted to come again. I remember one time this happened and my dad came in with my mom and after the after he drove the babysitter home, by the way, that's when he drove the babysitter home and didn't touch her, he came back and uh, said to my brother and I, you know what, I was going to buy you a pony tomorrow, but now that's not going to happen. I was crying, I was freaking out. My brother and I were laying in bed an hour later and he turned to me from his bed and he said, you know we live in a two-bedroom apartment, right? It was the first time I ever felt like an asshole. Well, first time of many. Well, it's too late to stop the corrupt prosecution of Mike Bullard. Maybe there's a shot at putting an end to the ongoing prosecution of the private investigator. The case is still before the courts, but from what I've learned... There's a lot that will come out that sheds light on Bullard's situation. First of all, I did a little research and found out that defense lawyers are absolutely allowed to interview all witnesses prior to trial. And if they don't have the witnesses' contact information already, the prosecutor has to provide it to them, unless the person's under a witness protection program. Cynthia Mulligan was not under that program. Now, private investigators commonly conduct and record interviews with witnesses so that the defense lawyer can better understand their evidence and prepare for cross-examination. If the witness says something different in the interview than what they say under oath in court, well, the private investigator may have to testify in court to impeach them. Obviously, lawyers can't be witnesses in their own case as they wouldn't be able to act as counsel anymore. So that's why they hire a private investigator. 
in this case, for anyone who's followed this podcast, there were a number of issues that needed to be investigated, not least of which was why Pam Seidel refused to give a formal statement to the police regarding how she came to forward the text message from Mike Bullard to Cynthia Mulligan. The private investigator actually uncovered evidence that Seidel had lied to police, and there's reason to believe that that is why he was arrested, and I'll get to that shortly. The most bizarre thing is that Mulligan keeps saying all she wanted was an apology from Mike Bullard, but how the heck was that going to happen when she kept calling the police claiming that Bullard violated bail anytime someone, anyone, tried to talk to her? These are the logical questions that the private investigator tried to answer. But this was never about truth or rationality. It was about using the police as Mulligan's personal henchmen. There was something more going on, though, that started to involve police themselves in the web of deceit. What had been a crazy, twisted spiral of chaos now starts to become truly nefarious. I want to return to this interference with Mike Bullard's defense team because the PI was arrested shortly before the preliminary hearing began, and this interfered with Mike Bullard being able to properly cross-examine his accusers. Cynthia Mulligan had asserted that there was a recording of this private investigator, as if that helps her out in some way because she or her cameraman, Jamie Tamelty, are some kind of super sleuths. But there's actually more than one recording. One of the most important recordings that she and potentially Pam Seidel don't know about is an interview with Seidel's husband, Dave Eddy. I've heard this recording and it's devastating. So this is the material that the private investigator uncovered within just two interviews and it informed the rest of the comments he made to the other people involved. Pam Seidel's own husband confirmed what Mike Bullard was saying. Pam Seidel lied to the police. So the question is why? Why did Seidel lie to the police and refuse to give an official police statement after being pressured into lying? And who pressured her into lying to police? These are things that the police and the prosecutor should want to know in their own investigations because you have to always remember that a prosecutor is supposed to seek the truth, not seek conviction. And if at any point the prosecutor has reason to believe continuing a prosecution is not in the public interest, the prosecutor is supposed to withdraw charges. The fact that Pam Seidel refused to give an official police statement should have raised a number of red flags. The text messages provided to police did not show that Bullard asked Seidel to send the message, it showed the contrary. Seidel said she was sending information because she believed Mulligan didn't want the case to go to trial. And Mulligan's response was, quote, you have betrayed our friendship. Now, Pam asks Mulligan to call her. Then all of a sudden, Seidel is telling police that Mike made her send the message. But Pam's own husband, who was there that night, is on audio recording saying that isn't true. The one question he didn't answer was what Cynthia Mulligan said or did 
to make his wife lie to the police. And you know why we don't have that answer? Because the private investigator was arrested before he could find out. But there is something even more serious than the evidence that Pam Seidel committed perjury when she testified in Mike Bullard's preliminary hearing and what role Cynthia Mulligan played in making that happen. Mulligan has been fairly determined to talk about this private investigator in her so-called victim impact statement, so we can assume that Mulligan is conceding that the PI is something that needs to be discussed. So I want to thank Mulligan for keeping the issue alive. I probably wouldn't have been that interested in the case of the PI if Mulligan hadn't tried to capitalize on it. But as a result, I now believe I can prove that Mulligan engaged in obstruction of justice. And that is one of the things that needs to be emphasized here. If Cynthia Mulligan hadn't gone over the top, and despite the judge cutting out her comments about this private investigator in court, Mulligan going ahead and publishing it anyway, well, if she hadn't done that, I'd not likely have obtained the information that I have now. So I really do want to thank Mulligan for being so bold and so stupid. Like I said, I've spoken to the PI and listened to some of his recordings, and there's good reason for Mulligan and Seidel to have been afraid, but not afraid of him, afraid of the truth, and afraid that truth would come out. And you have to remember, this private investigator was not hired by Mike Bullard. He was hired by Mike's defense attorney in the legitimate process of trying to interview witnesses. And you also need to remember, for what I'll say soon, that police know that the PI was hired to do a legitimately legal job. Police knew that the PI wasn't doing anything illegal when they arrested him. In fact, one officer spoke to this private investigator before his arrest and declined to tell him not to interview anyone else because the cop knew that the investigator wasn't doing anything wrong. But the cop said he couldn't be sure what would happen if the investigator continued legally engaging in his job. So why not? Surely a police officer wouldn't arrest someone after telling them to go ahead and continue legal activity well, okay, that officer didn't. It was an officer two desks over who actually arrested the guy. And again, he didn't do anything illegal. He just made Cynthia Mulligan uncomfortable. Well, I'm pretty sure that I'm making her uncomfortable too. No one wants to be confronted by a private investigator or a journalist asking you to answer questions that are inconvenient. But there's no real difference between what this PI did and what Cynthia Mulligan, as a journalist, does for a living. But only one of the two got arrested. Mulligan is a journalist who has publicly stated that she doesn't get scared easily. Mind you, I say that quoting her from an article in Chatelaine, which is currently subject to a defamation suit. But I've read the raw interview, and she actually did say that. So... How does she say that, but also demand police charge someone for causing fear, even though she admitted that he never said anything threatening? These are the questions that keep me up at night. God bless you, Cynthia, for keeping my life interesting. And it is interesting. 
Because if police are acting as personal thugs and arresting people for improper purposes, it's of much greater interest to me than just Cynthia Mulligan and her vendetta against Mike Bullard. So there are two questions that now need to be answered. One, what did the private investigator find out that scared Cynthia Mulligan? And two, why did the PI get arrested for doing nothing different than what an investigative journalist would do? Hey, I just found out that Charles Manson was a follower of L. Ron Hubbard. You know what, Tom? That's it for me. Don't bother getting a stepladder and trying to talk me out of it. I'm leaving. Legendary comedian Mike Bullard is back with his new podcast, You Too, with Mike Bullard on the Possibly Correct Network. Listen as Mike shares his unique perspective on life, tackling real issues and interviewing an incredible lineup of guests with unpredictable and often hilarious results. Subscribe to the YouTube podcast today by going to www.u2mikebullard.com. And for the latest from Mike, make sure to follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Minds.com, and Gab. You can check out all of our podcasts by following Possibly Correct on Minds.com. Now back to the show. I was at 1010 for what? I don't know, eight years. And uh, when Bell bought the company, bought Astral, and we became part of Bell Media, we also inherited Bell Let's Talk Day. Or as I used to call it, Let's Pretend to Talk Day. And the reason I called it that was because, you know, they're doing all this stuff about mental health. And the uh, employee satisfaction survey is coming back at 17% year after year after year. And this is when I knew the place had gone completely corporate horseshit. About two weeks beforehand, they'd go, do you have your depression anecdotes ready for Bell Let's Talk Day? And I keep getting asked like right up till two days before and I just ignored the question. <laughs> And uh, then uh, they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So I, I just did it every year without a depression anecdote. I treated it the same way. I would throw in a, hey, for every uh, text you send today, five cents goes to mental health. That was basically all I did. But the whole thing cracked me up. It was like uh, George Cope's little pet project. And I never, I don't recall a guy coming in once and saying hello to us, which might have been depressing. I've done a lot of research on the Mike Bullard case, and like I said at the beginning, it's not over yet. I have new information coming in as I write this podcast, and it's leading down a much more deeply nefarious path than I first expected. One of the things that recently came to light is that the private investigator was arrested and then offered. A sort of bribe. The prosecutor, who approved the charge against him, wanted him to give a false statement to the police, either against Mike Bullard or his defense lawyer, and the officer trying to coerce this false statement met with the PI in the stairwell of Toronto's 55 Division. I say that because I know what the officer said in his police notes, and I've also seen the text messages that show the officer's notes are false. That's a pretty serious allegation that I've just made, and I assure you that I'm not just saying it. 
I'm doing something about it. This story I'm telling you about Mike Bullard's case, well, it's not over yet. And one of the bigger problems is that it wasn't just the police officer having covert meetings in an attempt to coerce the PI into making false statements in exchange for dropping false charges against him. The prosecutor, Megan Scott, well, she was involved too. I know many of you may have been thinking, why do a whole series about a bogus stalking case against a comedian? But the more I look into this, the more important it becomes. So let me reiterate a few things. The private investigator hired by Mike Bullard's defense lawyer uncovered evidence that one of the witnesses was lying to police and about to lie under oath. That evidence never made it to court because the private investigator was arrested and his bail conditions stipulated that he could not assist with any investigation involving Mike Bullard. So the PI couldn't review and share the material of his own investigation to help Mike Bullard's defense team. And as a result, Bullard ended up pleading guilty to an offense of which there is definitive proof he is innocent. And the PI is still being prosecuted because he refused to make a false statement against Mike Bullard or his lawyer under pressure from the police and prosecutor. And never lose sight of the fact, and I say fact because I've heard the recording, that this PI who got arrested had proof that Pam Seidel was about to lie under oath. So when Cynthia Mulligan says there was no dirt, she's either lying or she doesn't know what the PI had discovered. But it doesn't matter whether or not Cynthia Mulligan knew what the PI uncovered because Mulligan took an oath to tell the truth. And what she said under oath was not the truth. The text messages submitted to court show that Mulligan threatened Pam Seidel prior to Pam lying to the police. Mulligan said, you have betrayed our friendship. And then all of a sudden, after a phone call, Seidel is telling the police a lie. But, to her credit, refusing to give a statement to police under oath. Only Cynthia Mulligan and Pam Seidel know what was said after Pam quickly said, call me. But Pam's husband is on recording as a witness that Pam did in fact lie. What he didn't know was what Mulligan said to Pam to make her lie. And you would think that police would care about this kind of thing. Instead, what we have are police arresting the private investigator, the one who uncovered the truth, in only two days, and then holding covert meetings with him in stairwells to try to bribe him into making a false statement in exchange for dropping charges. And the prosecutor was reached on that police officer's phone within 10 minutes during that meeting, so don't tell me that she didn't know about what was going on. And the one thing that stands out here is not just that they did that, but that the officer produced falsified notes of what actually happened. Thankfully, the private investigator didn't go to that meeting alone, so he has two witnesses. Oh yeah, and text messages with the police officer that show the cop is lying. But the texts actually show a little bit more. It shows that the meeting had an ulterior motive that implicates the prosecutor. And never forget, 
that what the PI uncovered was the fact that Pam Seidel mysteriously decided to lie to police after Cynthia Mulligan intimidated her with the message, you have betrayed our friendship. You would think that police and prosecutors would be more concerned about what that message meant, but apparently not. I can tell you that I don't care about any friendship if that offer of friendship includes having to lie to the police. And I can also tell you that unlike Pam Seidel, if I was pressured to do so, when I got to that witness stand, I would have been Mulligan's worst enemy and actually told the truth once I took the oath. But neither Pam Seidel nor her husband, Dave Eddy, has gone on the public record to explain how it is Pam decided to commit perjury. And when the PI warned them that dirt was going to come out if this went to court, well, he wasn't kidding. The dirt is coming out now. There was an interesting moment in the transcripts submitted to court of Cynthia Mulligan's interview with her Rogers media colleague, Sarah Bosfeld. Mulligan said, quote, I always felt because it had gone public in the Toronto Star, if I walked away from it and said, I can't testify, I felt he would destroy me. I felt he would go after me and my credibility and my reputation, end quote. Mulligan is saying here that she decided on a point of no return based on media coverage and the pressure on her to follow through. But that doesn't mean she was ever telling the truth. It just means that she doubled down on her narrative because she felt that there was no turning back and no compromise left in her mind. Now, I could feel sorry for Mulligan if she was testifying to things that were true and would rather have not gone to court. I could even be sympathetic if I thought she believed it to be true, but was mistaken. But the problem here is that the evidence shows what she said was not true and that she knew it. So what we're looking at now is why a journalist like Cynthia Mulligan, who deeply cares about her credibility, would be so brazen. But another good question is what would have happened differently in court for Mike Bullard if the private investigator had been allowed to provide Bullard's defense team with the tapes of his interviews? And obviously, we need to know why a police officer arranged a secret meeting in a stairwell with the private investigator after he'd already been arrested and charged, and then created false notes about what was said. The rabbit hole goes deeper. Stay tuned for the next episode of Untrue Crime. You're listening to Untrue Crime on the Possibly Correct Network. Stay up to date with the latest releases and investigation from Diana by following the podcast on Facebook, Minds.com and Gab. Or sign up to our email list at www.untruecrimepodcast.com. 